Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning. My name is Josh Bertram. I'm the Family Life Director here at Grace Crossing Church. It's great to have you here this morning. Pastor Gail is actually on vacation, a much-deserved, well, uh, much-needed vacation in Hawaii, of all places. Uh, he's getting ready for a luau. He's wearing his grass skirt. We'll be sure to have pictures for you later, and it's going to be great. But um, if you could do something a favor for me, I'd like to uh, say aloha to him. You will be listening to the podcast later, I'm sure. So on the count of three, can we do that? Uh, one, two, three. Aloha. Aloha! And I don't know the other words, but there are other ones. I hope you're having a great time, Pastor. He will be back next week. And, uh, but we're in the second week of our Faces series. Uh, the basic idea behind this series is that the New Testament offers several perspectives on Jesus Christ. Particularly in the first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they each... Uh, uh, offer an individual picture, an image of Christ, and there's certainly nuanced images of Christ, and they're not contradictory in any way, but they're complementary, and when you put all of the picture together, it's a very beautiful and breathtaking image of our Savior, when we put all of the four Gospels together. And last week, Pastor Gill talked about the Gospel of John, uh, which was the perspective or the face of love. He talked about John 3.16 and how God at immeasurable cost to himself became man, sent his son, and died for us. And that, his, that was proof of his immeasurable love for us, that he would do such a thing. And the face of love is what we went over last week. If you missed it, be sure to catch it on the podcast. This week, we're going to kind of park and camp in the Gospel of Mark. Now, gospel, that word is one of my favorite words. I love that word. I mean, I love the meaning of the word. I love the sound of the word. It always touches me when I think about it and when I hear it. And that word actually means good news. Uh, If you've been here for any period of time, I'm sure you've heard Pastor Gill talk about that, that the gospel actually means good news. And it is good news. Uh, Originally, the the word just meant good news in general, any kind of good news. But then it became uh, kind of evolved and began began to mean uh, victory in a battle. Someone would come and proclaim a Nike victory, right? You guys all know that that actually means victory in Greek. And that, that was the gospel of victory, right? They gave that good news of victory. It also came uh, to be associated with the birth of some great figure in history. Believe it or not, there were all sorts of gospels at the time of Jesus. There was the gospel of Caesar, uh, who was born a son of God, right? They thought Caesar was divine. So there are gospels, good news, proclamations sent out. And so when we say the gospel of Jesus, what we mean is the good news concerning or about Jesus Christ. And of course, that good news is that God did not leave us alone in darkness and sin. But God sent himself, his own son, second person of the Trinity, down to earth, who came willingly and lived a life, sinless, died on a cross for our sins in our place, and was raised to life in power later. And we have access to the same power through the Holy Spirit of God to, number one, accept Christ into our hearts and lives as our personal leader and Savior, but also to live the life he's called us to live. That's good news. That's great news, actually. And, you know, many of you here have experienced the good news of Jesus Christ. You've met Jesus. You've experienced the gospel. 
And it's changed your life. It's changed your perspective. Your marriages have been restored. Addictions have been broken. You have been changed by the gospel. And that is great news. But there's a problem. No matter how long you've been with Christ, and anyone who's been with Christ and known Jesus for any significant period of time, they hit a wall. They come to a time when they get bad news and the good news. And what we're going to talk about today, the kind of problem we're going to explore is what do we do when amidst the good news of the gospel, we hit bad news? Maybe it was a diagnosis that was less than favorable. Maybe it was cancer. Maybe a friend has a disease or a loved one is sick. Maybe your bank account is next to empty. Maybe you're worried about your financial future. Maybe you have a broken marriage or broken relationship with your son or your daughter or your parents or a good friend. There's any host of things and whatever you've thought about as I've just been talking is the issue that you're dealing with. It's the bad news that you're dealing with. And we all have to, as followers of Jesus, we have to deal with bad news in the midst of the good news. And you know, I'm so glad and I'm so happy that we have a Savior who understands what it means to receive bad news. We have a Savior who understands what it means to be disappointed. And today we're going to talk about the face of disappointment. But you know, there's a great story that I kind of want to start with. Um, It's about a friend of mine named Danny. Danny uh, and his family were a very influential family in their town. And the leader of the town announced that they were going to do a new construction project. And this uh, was going to bring a lot of property value to the town, uh, kind of, you know, bring, bring a lot of value to uh, where they live. And so uh, the leader wanted to give everyone a vote. So Danny got to be a part of the decision-making process with his family and with his colleagues. And the decision was between an oscillating device and a structure with a sloping surface uh, that went downward. And so they kind of... Uh, Uh, you know, they gathered and analyzed and kind of thought about it, and they thought about what they wanted to do and their choice, and then they made the choice, and all the people got to vote, and Danny himself voted, and the votes were going to be counted. But I don't want to tell you the rest of the story. I'm going to let Daniel tell it for you. Royal greetings. Royal greetings. I hereby declare it's time to count the votes. Let's count the votes for slide together. One, two. That's two votes for slide. Now let's count the votes for swings together. One, two, three. That's three votes for swings. Swings have more votes. The swings win. when you don't get what you want. Yes, it is. Can you find something good about the swings? Not yet. No, meow, meow. Well, maybe later. It is hard when you don't get what you want, isn't it? You know, sorry, I'm a new dad, and I've seen that uh, show, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, about six billion times. And so it's ingrained in my cranium right now, and sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between the cartoon world and reality as new parents will know. But 
the lessons there, isn't it? We can all relate to Daniel because there have been times when we haven't got what we wanted and what we thought we deserved and we felt injustice, right? We felt like something was wrong. And it's hard when we don't get what we want. Very hard. You know, as Christians and those who follow Christ, we're going to deal with disappointment. But Jesus dealt with more disappointment in three years than any of us will deal with in a lifetime. Jesus dealt with more suffering and pain in three years than any of us will deal with in a lifetime. Jesus is a savior and a friend who is well acquainted with defeat and well acquainted with disappointment. And if we want to learn how to deal with disappointment and conflict correctly, then we need to see how Jesus dealt with disappointment and with conflict. And as followers of Christ, we need to emulate our Savior and how he would deal with these things. And trust me, there's a lot of it we can learn from. Now, I'm not naive enough to suppose that all of us here are on the same level of spiritual maturity or even that all of us believe in Christ at all. And if you're here and you don't believe in Christ or maybe you're on the edge and you kind of don't know, teeter-tottering, hey, don't tune out. This isn't just for followers of Christ. Although my hope is that you'll come to know Christ personally. He'll change your life forever. But even with that, you have an opportunity today to learn from one of the masters of history how to deal with disappointment. So trust me, these lessons are for everyone. And Jesus, I want to look at how he dealt with disappointment focusing in the gospel of Mark. And there's several uh, stories and several places we're going to look at. But the first thing I want to notice about Jesus and how he dealt with disappointment is that Jesus anticipated and expected disappointment. We're going to look at Mark 8, 31 through 32. It says this, Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man, that's him, must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. Jesus predicted disappointment and conflict in his life. And the reality is for all of us that the disappointment and conflict in our life is in some ways predictable. Now, I'm not saying that the specifics of it are necessarily, although sometimes you can put together the picture to see what might happen, but I can guarantee you today that you are going to face disappointment and conflict in your life. I'll save you some money from the psychic hotline today. You are going to face disappointment. I see it in your future. It's predictable. It's there. Jesus saw it, and as followers of Christ, and really as anyone, we know it's inevitable. But not only did Jesus predict it, but he actually saw God's plan and purpose in it. We're going to look at Luke chapter 18, 31 and 32. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said to them, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. The prophets were people who spoke from God. God had ordained in the past that Jesus would go through this. And Jesus looked at what was going to happen, the greatest struggle he would ever go through, and he said, that is filled with the purpose and plan of God. And as Christians, those who follow Christ, we can rest assured that the things we go through are part of God's purpose and plan for our lives to make us into who he wants us to be. Now, I know we're going to struggle with that one. 
We're going to struggle with the fact that God will intentionally lead us into disappointment and conflict in our life in order to form and shape within us the image of his son and to help us become who he wants us to be. And as difficult as that is, and I know it is, trust me, it's very difficult. It's true. It's all over the Bible. It's all over Jesus' life. Jesus predicted conflict and disappointment, but he saw the purpose in it. He saw the plan of God in it. You know, another thing Jesus did is he spoke very matter-of-factly about it. I want to look again at Mark 8, 32. It says he spoke plainly about this. In other words, Jesus took this fact that he was going to be tortured and killed as a fact of life, as something that was going to happen. But what's interesting about this word plainly Okay, the New Testament was written in Greek, and so this represents, this English word represents a Greek word that it's translated from. And that Greek word, if you were to do a little word study on it, look through all the places it's found in the New Testament, what you'd find is actually this word means boldness. It means courage in other contexts. It means honesty. It means straightforward talk and candor and candidness. And when you look at where this word came from, it actually comes uh, from the Greek history where people would be a part of a city, a citizen. In order to be a full citizen, once that happened, you were able to speak freely about whatever topic you want. And how many of you know people who speak their mind, okay? How many know people who speak their mind and get in trouble? Okay, my wife, hello? I mean, don't tell her I said that. No, she's awesome, but she's a very candid person. And many of you know that. And so this kind, of, this kind of honesty of speech comes with it, a boldness, a courage, and an honesty. And when you look at it, you see that Jesus was honest, both in bold, both in action and in word. And then when you look at the acts of the apostles, you see that they were bold and that they were honest and that they spoke from the conviction of their heart. And so the biggest thing that we can see today is that when dealing with disappointment, we must face disappointment with boldness, with courage, and with honesty. That that is the way Jesus dealt with it. He wasn't shocked when things didn't go his way, but he trusted God in the midst of it. And I'm going to look at three different areas where Jesus had to face disappointment. And we're going to, if you can see it, kind of concentric circles, or a circle here, circle here, and then the core. And they're going to kind of go from outside to inside in their importance and their effect on his life. And the first way that Jesus felt and experienced disappointment was professionally. We're going to look at Mark chapter 2. Uh, 6 through 12, and it says, Now there are some teachers of the law uh, were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? Let me give you some background and some context. A paralytic had just been brought to Jesus. The story tells us that Jesus healed him, as we'll see. But the first thing that Jesus says to him is, Son, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees did not like that. The teachers did not like that. And this is what they say. He's blaspheming who can forgive sins but God alone. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. 
This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, you need to understand that when Jesus came into his ministry, he was entering into a predefined professional field. These Pharisees and teachers of the law, they had rules. They had conventions. They had things that they operated by, and you didn't just come in there and break all the rules. That's not what you did, but it's what Jesus did. Jesus came in and he broke every rule and he faced conflict professionally. So much disappointment and conflict, actually, that in Mark 3, 6, it says this amazing line. Sometimes we just gloss over. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. He made them so mad they wanted to kill him. That's disappointing when you have to face that. You know, Jesus in the midst of pressure to conform to what the professional world of his day wanted him to do. He stood true to his convictions, knowing what God had sent him to do. And he acted with boldness and courage and with honesty. Some of you are going to have to act with boldness, courage, and honesty at your work. Your boss is going to want you to fudge those numbers. He's going to want you to lie to a client. Boss is going to want you to go out, maybe partying with them, or engage in something that you know is a violation of your inner convictions. Maybe they're just going to want you to do any number of things that would violate something internal, and you're going to have to be able with boldness and confidence and courage and honesty to say, sorry, I can't do that. And that's going to be hard. It wasn't any easier for Jesus, but God honored it, and God will honor you. Some of us are going to have to face disappointment and conflict professionally, and we're going to have to deal with it like Jesus dealt with it. But didn't, Jesus didn't deal with it just professionally. He actually dealt with it with his friends and with his family. Mark 3, we're going to look at a, a great passage. And Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, get this, you might have glossed over this before. Uh, they went out to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. Jesus' family thought he was nuts. Did you catch that? They thought he was insane. They were, he was in, they were embarrassed by him, okay? He, they did not like what he was doing, and they were trying to stop him from doing it. Some of you are going to have to face situations with your family where it's going to be a choice between them and God. I hope you never have to face that, but some of you will, and you already have. Let's look at how Jesus handled it. He says, Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. This would have been totally revolutionary to the crowd. This would have been offensive to the crowd. But here's what he said. I have a mission that God gave me. And you know what? I have a family whom I love dearly. Jesus loved his family more than we do. Okay, he loved them greatly. And all of a sudden, what happens when those two forces collide? He was met with a moment of decision where he had to decide between the mission of God and his life or the desires of his family. And he had to choose God. And that's what he told them. I'm choosing the mission of God, the will of God, the purpose of God over your opinions and over your attitudes and over what you say. 
But it wasn't just with his family. It was with his friends too. In Roman, uh, not Romans, in Mark 8, right back where we were, uh, Peter just hears about what he said. He's going to go suffer. And he, uh, he rebukes him, Peter. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That is bold language. That is courageous talk. Peter was a dear friend of Jesus. It must have hurt him to have to say that, but he did because, again, his friend was trying to violate and get him uh, to veer off the path that God had for him. You know, we're going to have to face in life times when our family and our friends don't like what we're doing. Maybe your family thinks you're violating the faith of your childhood by even coming to this church. I know that that's happened. Or maybe even your family, uh, they just don't think you're the same. You're not the same brother. You're not the same sister. You don't go out. You don't talk the same. You don't talk, tell the same stories. Your friends will say the same thing. And you're going to have to come to a moment where you say, I am a different person because what of Christ has done in my life, and I need to have the boldness, courage, conviction, and honesty to say something about it. These are not going to be easy conversations. Trust me, I've had some very difficult conversations with my family that I'm not going to share uh, today because it's being recorded, but I've had very difficult conversations, okay? It's not easy, and it's nerve-wracking. You're feeling your stomach, but Jesus did it. And as a follower of Christ, you need to deal with it in the same way. There's a friend of mine named Kathy. She had to deal with great disappointment with friends and even with family. She was hurt immensely. And she's going to tell you her story today. Please direct your attention to the screens. I'm Kathy Burns, and this is my husband, Chris. Um, we're married almost 30 years, um, three beautiful children, and three grandchildren. Um, Chris was uh, very into the marriage ministry, loved couples, loved helping couples, loved God, devoted his life to serving God. Um, in July of 2011, Chris was diagnosed with melanoma and fought for 22 months and lost his battle April 29th of 2013. I guess when Chris and I first discovered that he had cancer, um, we were in the middle of a family and marriage uh, ministry class, and we had probably about 30 or 40 couples. And during his treatment, he was unable to do like the last two classes. So we had a couple stand in for us. And out of those, you know, 30 to 40 couples, when Chris was in hospice sick, um, we had one couple reach out and ask how we're doing. Um, that same couple came to his memorial service, plus one other lady. So it was disappointing to me that out of 60 people that were just in our marriage class, three people seemed to care. Well, I, I felt like we were unimportant and um, we were alone. I don't know if they just didn't know how to reach out or what to say or what to do, but you know, it was, it made it feel like, okay, well, we're just going to go on with our lives. We know you, you, we know he's sick, but you know, that's none of our business. It's, 
I guess during the time, you know, I was so busy taking care of Chris. Um, and, you know, it was hard. And I wondered during that time, but I, I really didn't have the time to just dwell on it. It was still after he went home to be with the Lord that it hit me. And so I, I was a little bit upset. At that point when I lost Chris, I went to I'm mad mood. I was mad at God. I was mad at Chris. I was mad at the people that didn't show up, that didn't reach out. I was mad at the church family. So how I dealt with this, I decided I just folded my arms and decided I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to pray. I was just mad. So after about a couple months, I decided it wasn't going to get me anywhere. So I went back and, you know, walked in by myself. And it was almost like I was invisible. I don't know if they just didn't see that couple. They didn't see me. So they just looked past me and I felt real uncomfortable and sitting there by myself nobody really said anything to me but before you know when we were together Chris and I you know tons of people would stop you know and talk to us you know because we were the one leading their their family and marriage ministry so but afterwards when Chris wasn't there it was like they didn't see me maybe some of you have felt that way maybe some of you have felt invisible Maybe you've been disappointed because someone didn't treat you the way you needed to be treated or your family uh, didn't treat you. And in any of these ways, you're going to have to follow in the example of our Lord who was stabbed in the back by his family, by his friends, and forgave and used boldness and courage and honesty in his behavior and his speech. But it wasn't just in these areas we're going to get to the center, the most important part right now. You know, it, it, it's kind of uncomfortable me even saying this. But Jesus faced disappointment even in his relationship with the Father, with God. Let's look at Mark 14. It says, They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, of course, we had to be very careful. Jesus was sinless. And so what that means is that Jesus did not cross the line into distrust of God. But he certainly felt the tension and the conflict internally. He certainly felt like, man, is this really necessary? Do I have to do this? But we, it's amazing to see that he said, not what I will, but what you will. In other words, you know what you're doing. I trust that you have my best interests at heart. You know what's happening. You know what you're doing. So I'm going to submit to your will. You know, if Jesus did that, he had to carry that psychological burden, a great burden, and many of you are carrying burdens today that God has brought you into. And you need to have the same attitude, and that takes boldness and honesty and courage. You're going to have to have some honest talk with God. 
You're going to have to have some honest conversations with another person you can bring in. If you're angry at God and you're disappointed in God, you cannot let that dwell and get to the point of distrust and a loss of faith. You need to process it. You need to find someone to process it with, and you need to be gut-level, scary, raw, honest about it. We don't need to put on a mask and be fake. Let's be real about what's happening in our lives. You know, the great thing about that story with Kathy is I'm going to let her finish it uh, for you, but uh, there's a lot of redemption in it, and there's a lot of honesty in it. And so we're going to let her finish her story today. I knew Chris was sick, and from the very beginning when he first told me that he had cancer, he took me to a park and told me, I knew that I knew that I knew that his he was going to lose that battle. I kept it to myself. I didn't say anything to him about it, but it was like some immediate, the Lord put it on my heart. And so after that, you know, watching him go through treatment and everything, I willed and dealed with God. I tried to, if I prayed more, if I memorized more scripture, if I, you know, was the good girl and, you know, didn't lose my temper and you know, didn't blow up at some people that I really wanted to smack. <laughs> you know, during this time, you know, I was doing everything by myself. Um, I thought that if I willed and dealed and, and, you know, and bargained with God, that he w- it would change his will, that I would find favor and it would change his will. It was after he was already gone that I went into I'm mad at God mode and I told him just flat out, you know, you know I'm mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> who says that you know but I did I was like you know my heart you know you know I'm, I've been confused um, I've been scared you know here I am by myself Chris basically treated me as the princess and I mean that literally you know he did everything for me anything I wanted I got but I wasn't a material person you know um, he just treated me like a little princess and you know his biggest thing was when he passed who was going to take care of me so God knew my heart, and so I told him, I said, I know you know that I'm mad at you. <laughs> you know, you know um, I'm having a really hard time with this. But he just kept giving me, you know, scripture after scripture and songs and, um, you know, just giving me peace. Now, there was a time when Chris was really, really sick, and this was toward the end. He um, wanted to set up on the side of the bed, so I set him up. And as soon as I set him up on the side of the bed... He just fell over, you know, was just lifeless. That was the scariest part of the whole ordeal because I actually thought he had just died. So I lifted his head up and his eyes were rolled back in his head and they was just there was just no response. I got so angry I just looked up the ceiling and I just screamed at God, What are you doing? Why are you not helping me? I mean, what are you doing? And as soon as I said those words, I was like, Oh, should have said that I'm sorry I'm sorry (laughs) I went back into the good girl mode you know I'm sorry you know and he spoke to me said Kathy what are you supposed to do so I immediately laid my hands on him and you know started praying for him and I got the strength I just you know knew that picking back up laid him in the bed and covered him back up and like within 30 seconds he pops his eyes open and kind of looks at me like giggled and is like "Uh, I'm sorry did I fall asleep I was like, no, honey, you passed out. And that happened actually three times that that day. And that was about two weeks before he actually went home to be with the Lord. So if it wasn't 
for the family at GCC, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. I wouldn't be, you know, in the preschool ministry and I wouldn't be going to school for church ministry. I wouldn't be where I'm at right now if it wasn't for GCC and I honestly believe that. God used this church family. You know, I've been there. I've been there in the car or in my room when I literally screamed at the top of my lungs at God because I was so upset about things that had happened to me. But you know, God can handle that. He can understand that. And he was right there with me every time his presence was felt. And see, Kathy had to be bold. She had to use courage to show back up at a church where she had been so hurt and she was received. And it's one of those beautiful stories I've heard of her being received. And she is such an amazing help to us back there with the kids. It's unbelievable and it's amazing to see what God is doing in her life. Redemption. But she had to go through disappointment. I want to be careful that I don't make you think that life is all disappointment because that's not the case and what's beautiful about the whole thing what's beautiful about the whole story of Jesus is that yes there's disappointment but there's also victory and there's an amazing pattern that we see and we're going to go back to Mark 8 and we're going to look at this because it's it's just unbelievable he goes through he says he's going to suffer right he's going to die and then I love this but Three days later, he would rise from the dead. And what God and what Jesus saw was that the path of the victory was through disappointment and conflict. And he faced it head on and he went through that. And you can actually see this pattern in his life. If you were to look at an outline of the book of Mark, here's what you'd see, okay? You would see victory and then you would see uh, disappointment, and then victory and disappointment. Let's take a look. Baptism. Jesus comes and he's baptized. Just a quick note. If you haven't been baptized and you know Jesus, we're baptizing people on Easter. And you need to make that step of obedience to Christ and be baptized. We actually have a meeting after church today, this service in the community room uh, to talk about that, a baptism interest meeting. That that's something you want to do. Make sure you're there. But Jesus got baptized, super, I mean, he was on a high there. And then right after his baptism, he goes into the temptation. He's alone by himself for 40 days fasting. It's disappointing, it's conflict, it's hard. And then he goes right through that and then he immediately goes up and he calls his disciples. He calls them together. He starts getting people around him who love his vision, who are seeing what he's seeing and can do what he's going to do. And then right after that, he starts to face conflict with the Pharisees. They don't like him. They're saying, what are you doing? Why are you being this way? And he's getting this disappointment and this conflict. And then he goes through that and he makes it and he goes and he begins to get popularity. He's doing these miracles. He's healing people. People are loving him. They're listening to his teaching. And then he faces conflict with his family. They think he's insane. They want to take him. They want to put him away. And then he gets through that and he faces this amazing miracles and this victory and success of all the miracles that are happening. He's walking on water, raising people from the dead. He's calming storms. His disciples are amazed by what he's doing. And then he returns home to Nazareth and he's rejected. The community doesn't like him. They're disappointed in him. They say, who are you to do all these things? You're just Jesus. You're nobody. He's disappointed. 
He's facing conflict. And then he goes to Jerusalem, the main place in all of the nation, the capital, and it's a triumphal entrance. We're gonna celebrate it next Sunday. And he goes there and people are singing his praises. They're laying down uh, cloths and things for him to ride in on. And less than a week later, they are beating him. They are torturing him and they crucify him. Less than a week later, he is at the bottom of it all. And the amazing thing about this is you can see your life in this, can't you? Where there's success and you're feeling good and things are going well and then all of a sudden there's conflict and there's disappointment and you can't believe this is happening and then there's more success and then there's conflict and then there's more success and then there's conflict. Just fill in the blanks. But you know what's so amazing about this is that Jesus did not stay in the grave. That God raised him from the dead three days later. And after that, there was victory after victory after victory after victory after success after success. In other words, God broke the success disappointment pattern. And know what's so cool about that is that if you know Jesus, then God's gonna do the same thing in your life. What's amazing about it is it's an amazing New Testament truth. And John 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In Romans 8, 17, he says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glories. If you know Jesus, then every single disappointment leads to a victory. If you're in a season of disappointment right now, rest assured God is bringing you into a season of victory. And if you're in a season of victory right now, rest assured there will be another disappointment and conflict. But we can all let go of any fear we will ever have because we know that ultimately God breaks the pattern in our life. Ultimately, we live forever in a success after success after success after victory after victory, and we no longer have to deal with disappointment. But for now, we need to know that it's through disappointment and through conflict that we get to victory. It's what happened to Jesus. It's what's going to happen to us. But in the end, God always wins. And that is good news. That is gospel. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much that you came into this world, that you took on our flesh and blood, uh, that you were tempted, and God, that you gained victory for all of us. I'm just so thankful for the victories in my life. God, I pray for everyone who's in a season of disappointment right now, that you would help them, that you would bring peace where there's conflict and turmoil, and that you bring healing where there's suffering right now. But God, mostly that you would let them know that you're there and you're guiding them. God, I pray for those in a season of victory that they would prepare for the season of disappointment and conflict to come, that they would be honest and bold and courageous whenever they're facing it and all the different things that we're facing in our life. 
Thank you so much that you gained the ultimate victory and that when we trust in you, we get to share in that. And we're so thankful for that. I love you and just ask you to bless Thanks us all for listening. during this week. To learn more about Jesus Grace Crossing name. Church, Amen. including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.